Welcome back to the Devin Nunes podcast. And normally everybody knows that I like to keep it light. I'm no longer in politics anymore. So if you want to go and bitch at all the politicians, I'll just join in with you and I can I can join and do the same. And we like to have some fun. But clearly after last week's podcast with VDH, Victor Davis Hansen, a lot has happened. And I think it's a lot that, that some of us saw coming, um, but I don't think anyone saw what the horror uh, that's taken place in Israel. Uh, and of course, the Biden administration's uh, delayed response, and now they're trying to play catch up as what appears to be we're on the edge of what, what could really uh, turn into a world war. So sorry, we have Rich Barris, the People's Pundit this week. Rich, normally we were going to have a good time. It was going to be fun. And we were going to talk about all this polling, which is really interesting. Um, I followed Rich for a long time. I used to follow him on on that, uh, what we call here on the on the True Social podcast, Rich, we call it Titter. Now, we didn't give it that name. Elon Musk gave it that name. We just adopted it. Uh, and of course, now it's been changed to, to X. Um, yeah. And I used to follow you on there. And uh, I see you uh, quite a bit on Real America's Voice. And every once in a while, I'll watch your podcast on Rumble inside inside the numbers yeah but uh welcome uh to the show and we're, we're glad to have you on what is a uh, kind of a very somber friday the 13th there yeah friday the 13th and thanks for having me Devin. i'm looking forward to this uh you know i've told you but it has to be said again you know you're not a politician anymore but what uh what you did for this country uh through the russia collusion hoax is i mean you're nothing less than a national treasure Devin. really so uh i'm, I'm honored yes, to be here you. Well, look, I was uh, when you reached out and we were just chatting about different things. I was like, man, I wonder if you'd be willing to come on my uh, podcast. And so, thank you for for, for doing that because uh, we I don't think we've ever had any pollsters on this. I've I've had all sorts of guests. I mean, I started this back when I was in Congress, and I try to do deep dives into issues so that when you listen to my podcast, it was usually once a week, and you would come away learning something. Yeah. Um, now, since I since I left Congress and we've been Firing up True Social, I've used it to really showcase uh, people that are on True Social or that or, or that uh, are, you know, familiar with the issues that we deal with at, at True Social and social media. But I'll tell you, um, this is a great opportunity for us and my audience uh, to have you. Um, but I, I think I would be remiss. I, I want to get into how you got into the polling, and then we'll get into the into some of the polls. But and I know you're not a uh, you know, you're not a policymaker, but you follow a lot of these issues. And I know you probably care about it, but I think we do need to just briefly discuss what's happening in Israel because yeah, a lot of people are going to be watching this live on the live stream right now on Rumble, but some of you are going to be listening later. And as I stepped into the studio here just to do uh, to do this interview with Rich, um, Netanyahu has just given a speech. I know everybody, you know, all the fake news has been saying, that, you know, the war is imminent, but clearly Netanyahu just came out uh, in the last hour, uh, gave uh, a speech, and it sounds like they are getting ready to uh, do some type of uh, large-scale invasion into uh, into the Gaza Strip, which I've, uh, those of you who listen to my podcast for years, you know that I've spent a lot of time in, in the Middle East, more time than I ever wanted to, but also quite a bit of time on that on that border and in some of those communities that have, that have been raided. Um, what I always tell people, uh, and I really ascribe by this, and I think it's more important than ever, that is to whatever you hear from all sides, it doesn't matter whether it's conservative media or center, well, there is no really center, but center left or left-wing media. Um, when these types of wars um, or attacks happen, you really, what I learned over the years is you, there's what, what, what it's called, some people call it the fog of war. Yeah. You really just have to listen to it, um, take it all in, use it as data points, but be careful. Be careful to make any assumptions right now because we don't know, you know, the, the death toll continues to rise. We truly don't know how many Americans are in Israel right now. I mean, I think the current number that people are reporting is, is 14 uh, hostages right now. Um, and some, you know, possibly 20, 30, 40 Americans that, uh, that were murdered. Um, and we just don't know that now, but that's why this is a somber day. Yes, it's horrible for Israel. Uh, yes, it's horrible for all the victims, uh, that were, that were brutalized there. Uh, but as you know, I'm uh, into politics. Um, and this 
is a responsible, we are supposed to have the strongest, mightiest military in the world. I spent a lot of my career trying to ensure that these types of things don't happen. And if they do happen, that we can react quickly to go rescue Americans, Americans first. I also uh, am just bewildered by the open border that continues to be wide open, which I have been saying this even, uh, even uh, after I left Congress, we have people from like a hundred different countries that are entering, invading this country. And if you think that there are not people who are ready to commit atrocities against free loving people of America, you are wrong. Yep. And the fact that, that, that Biden uh, has let this happen and it continues to happen as we see this, what, what nobody dreamed, I would have never dreamed it was possible. I've been down to that Gaza border so many times with Israel. I mean, it is a, for a pretty damn secure border. And I sure as hell wouldn't want to try to go on either side of that because you're almost guaranteed to be arrested or shot very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the fact that Hamas was able to pull this off is, is absolutely uh, incredible. Uh, but Rich, I'm sorry to go into that diatribe, but um, you know, it's just, I think it would be, we'd be remiss if I didn't address it uh, here right at the top of the show. But uh but what say you as a pollster, uh, you have any opinions on this? Yeah, sure. Uh, there's a, there's a few things, uh, you know, and one, you know, and we can get into how I became a pollster, but, uh, you know, international relations is actually what I was uh, studying before I decided to go that way. And I did complete it and, go, you know, but um, I just don't see how they pulled this off without the help of these international communities that have been posing as civil rights activists and humanitarian organizations, some of which we fund, a lot of which we fund, and the West funds. And you've been there. You know how Hamas plays this game. I'm getting the older I get, the less, and I think I, I fall into most the camp with most Americans. The, you know, the older I get, the more appetite I have for conflict, Devin. But um, and that comes from after 9/11. I was I was gung ho and. Um, you know, I, you know, you get older, you get wiser. And the, 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 but the fact remains that there's something dangerous going on in this country. We used to all know the difference, the moral difference between Israel and Hamas and this growing sentiment uh, among, among the left <laughs> that just doesn't see the difference between Kids, unfortunately, you know, dying as a result of the casualty of conflict versus those who intentionally uh, put those children in harm's way as human shields. And it's sad, you know, from what Netanyahu is saying. Uh, but at some point, you know, Cornel West was asked this and he, he owed the country an answer. You're running for president if an enemy is waging an attack against you and they're hurting c citizens, they're hurting kids, adults, civilians, whatever. Um, what are you going to do if you know retaliation in order to stop them requires you to some, to probably uh, hurt uh, innocent people, including children and collateral damage? And he, you know, dodged this, Devin, and he just, you know, did what politicians do, dodge and weave. I, I almost mistook him for a politician instead of an academic. And, you know, I, I, I think that I'm, I'm getting a little bit from a pollster's point of view. This is something we've seen for a long time. People like him have been willing to ignore this and get more pro, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say sympathetic. I, don't, I wouldn't call West sympathetic. I think he tries to put everybody in the same basket, but that is not true. If you look at the college campuses uh, across the country, even in one where I, where I went to college, you know, we're talking a long time ago now, um, you know, when not where I went, it was still rising anti-Semitism back then, you know, so with the media reporting, uh, there's a you know anti-Semitism is on the rise in the college campuses and pro-Palestinian Palestinian viewpoints are on the rise. That was 20 years ago. They were on the rise. They're here now. And uh, that you know if you if you study international relations in any uh, university around this country, you're going to get the pro-Palestinian point of view. It's yeah, that's exactly right. And you know from the time that uh, when I first entered into Congress, I like to say that you know there were still some what I would call traditional Southern bull weevil Democrats that were out yeah. there that were pro-military, that were anti-terrorist. Uh, and, you know, never did you think, I think we had, when I went there, we had one socialist at the time and that was Bernie Sanders. He was Bernie. in the house of representatives. I can't remember. We might've had Barbara Lee who had maybe just been elected at the same time. And I think they were both socialists. And then he graduated up to the Senate. Um, but, 
But Rich, today we have, not only do we have full of trained Marxists, we have that kind of the old 1960s Marxists that are still there, the Bernie Sanders, the Pelosi's. I mean, they've been there like for my whole life, um, including all that time. I mean, it wasn't like I was barely in Congress. You know, I was there for two decades and these people predated me and they're still there. Still there, yeah. But, but what's happened is, is that you now have these trained Marxists young ones that are in there. And I would have, when I first ran for Congress, right, right, actually announced shortly after 9-11-2001 for Congress. And if you would have told me uh, that in just a matter of less than the next 20 years, that we would have pro-Palestinian uh, elected members of Congress that would actually side with Hamas... Yeah. I, I would have said that's that, that that no way those people could ever get elected. What are you talking about? Well, sure enough, I mean, you had one of the most prominent Democrats, a guy who was poised to take over. That's right. Uh, for Nancy Pelosi, a guy named Crowley, a guy who I had served with, um, kind of an old Irish politician, very, very successful, very liberal, was defeated in a primary by AOC with what nobody still has done any serious investigation over. There were serious money spent in that primary by somebody. Um, that that took him out. And now you have her, they make up this squad. Um, and and you know you really have to be a trained Marxist because these are not stupid people, Rich. They know that if you because you know here on one hand, they are pro-Palestinian, they want to support um, you know all of these uh, groups. they they don't I, mean, I even heard something about um, she didn't want to see a genocide done to the to to Hamas. I mean, the, AOC said this yesterday, um, you know, when, when, you know, 1200 plus Israelis were brutally murdered by these animals. Um, at the same time though, the irony is, and I, I just want to go back to, these are not stupid people, right? So they know what they're doing is wrong. So on one side, they hold the Palestinian flag and, Oh, you know, decolonize, blah, blah, blah. But on the other hand, they'll they'll fly the LGBTQ whatever alphabet flag you can name. Now, if I drop them into there, <laughs> into pal into the Gaza Strip, carrying those flags, they would be taken up to the highest building in Gaza and thrown off the top of the yep. rooftop. That's right. That's what would happen. Now, they're not stupid. They know that. So, like just common sense people, you have to ask yourself if you're on the left out there and you're a Democrat, you're supporting these people, like. You can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. It was controversy in Michigan. There's a town in Michigan where, uh, you know, the white liberal celebrated how uh, the, the council became a Muslim majority council. It's a growing Muslim population. And now they're mad. I mean, this was in the local USA Today affiliate about two months ago now, but still relatively recent. They're mad because they voted to ban uh, the display of the pride flag. and. It, to them, only in their mind, only in the mind of the wealthy, rich, white liberal, was that ever going to work and not be an internal contradiction in their party. Uh, that To them, both sides, they can feel are victims and accept them, but they never were going to be able to have these sides get together, sing Kumbaya together. And to me, I just laugh when they think that it, 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 somehow they, they expected a different outcome um, you know, with with. Lawmakers like Rashida Tlaib, and I'm getting up there now. You know, I just had a birthday, and I'm getting, I, I look back at the Congress when I first, um, you know, was eligible to cast a vote, and I never would have thought we would have seen people like this. The reporter chasing Rashida Tlaib down the hall the other day, asking her to simply respond to uh, what had happened, um, you know, to, to to Israeli kids, and her inability to even offer a comment. And again, I think the right is behind the curve here on some of this because the reaction to that in the media was it just doesn't seem like they fully understand that Rashida Tlaib is not going to comment on Hamas or condemn Hamas because Rashida Tlaib is in bed with people who are linked to these groups. I mean, this is a fact. Um, Ilhan Omar, when the resolution came up to censure them, which Nancy Pelosi caved on. There was a resolution condemning her and her anti-Semitic language only months before she entered the Congress. The Democrats caved on it. Richard uh, or uh, Elliot Engel was one of the few, like you were talking about, um, 
her other lieutenant, he was one of the few still pro-Israel and he was trying to deliver for these groups who were demanding accountability, some kind of resolution. And, you know, all the radicals paraded through Congress, met in Tlaib's office. They pressured Pelosi. She caved, Evan. She caved. And the resolution was something Linda Sors, the, the wording of it was something that Linda Sassor could celebrate. And she did. And, you know, I remember back then some of the people in that office, if you went through their Twitter account, all they did was talk about how a two-state solution is never going to work and that there's no place in the Arab world for Jews. So, right. you know, I don't know how people expect, and this is from someone who, again, to me, you know, a, a, a dead Palestinian kid is just as sad as a dead Israeli kid. But the fact of the matter is one side teaches their children to hate, the other does not. And I don't know. And one side is repeatedly, I, I don't know how you get past this point, Devin. One side has repeatedly accepted the, the potential for a two-state solution, even given up territory that they rightfully won uh, during combat, which is human history. If somebody starts a war with you and you beat that person, they lose territory. Only in the world of the Palestinian mind are you allowed to wage war, lose, and then get that territory back. It's insane. And uh, again, um, they, this is I, I, I don't know how you you begin negotiation process anywhere from the point of isolate anywhere other than the point of isolating them like the president did with the Abraham Accords and getting the rest of the Arab world on your side and in normal relations with Israel, because you can't argue or debate or appease anyone who doesn't believe you have a right to exist, Devin. You can't. Yeah. And so I just have to correct you is. President Trump, not President, President Trump. Trump. Just, just to be clear, yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. So I, I want to right to do that. We're, I want to get to the polling. I want to get to yeah. have you uh, 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 just kind of talk about how you got into polling. Um, but I just want to make one final point uh, on the two-state solution and talk about aging myself. Uh, but I had the the opportunity early in my career in Congress. Uh, like I said, I mean, we were in war in Afghanistan and war in Iraq. I mean, there was all kinds of problems over there. at that point. You know, suicide bombers were blowing themselves up all over Israel. Yeah. Um, and I I actually had a a very uh, uh, decent friendship with former prime minister now deceased named Ariel Sharon, um, who was a war hero, Israeli war hero. Um, but I don't know why I think he liked me because I was from a farming background and, and from, a, you know, as a farmer fellow farmer. So he liked to talk to me about farming. I met him several times and uh, just have some very fond memories of my discussions with him, mostly about, about farming issues. Um, but I remember right before that, it was very controversial. And I forget what year it was that he proposed. I mean, it, it was maybe 04, 05, 06, somewhere in there when they, uh, when Ariel Sharon said, okay, look, we're going to let, you know, we're going to remove the Israeli settlements out of Gaza. Yep. Many had been there for a long, very long time. Um, we're going to remove them out and, and Gaza, we're going to give you all of this property and let you govern yourself because it was essentially a, a peace pipe that he wanted to try. And I always remember, I, I remember I said, do you really think it's going to work? And, you know, Sharon to his credit said, you know, no, but yeah. But, but what, what else do we have to do? Cause at that time there was so much pressure coming from all over the world, kind of this anti-Semitism that he felt they had to do it. There was a huge disagreement, even disagreement to this day. He knew it was controversial um, because at least with those Israeli settlements within Gaza Strip, it kind of kept the peace, although it was a very tough peace because those people lived in, you know, kind of constant war footing. Uh, but anyway, I just wanted to to, to tell that brief uh, story because this is something that's, none of this is new. And you, you, no. know, you brought up the two-state solution and, you know, look, they've been trying that for 20 years and it's yeah. clearly didn't work. I remember Yasser Arafat playing stringing Bill Clinton along, uh, you know, as a young, uh, you know, God, I was even in my teens at the time, but I remember that. And Arafat was playing everybody. I mean, that was never going to happen. And we, it seems like they're just biding time until they get more sympathy uh, with the tactics they've used in academia, in the media, the CNN strategy, by the way, they call it that the CNN strategy, which is, uh, provoke Israel into doing something, uh, retaliating they, because they have to. Uh, meanwhile, though, you know, you're basically goading them into killing innocent people, including kids. And then you can grab those kids and parade them in front of the, 
the liberals on CNN. And believe me, they'll give you the tears and the time that you hope you get on primetime television. And then you'll earn sympathy. I mean, that is what Israel has been effectively dealing with forever. And I just don't know. And I, I respect, um, I admire actually that story you just told. I admire that about Sharon. I don't think anybody re really in the right mind would think it would work, but what else can you do at that moment? Um, yeah, but I also understand the other point of view from uh, other Israelis who are more hardline say, mm -hmm. we need this as a buffer zone. Every time we give them an inch, uh, it becomes a security threat to us. And, you know, I think about, um, the, you know, th it's not just the settlement areas, but I, I think about other conflicts in the past, in the 70s. And I, brought this up the other day on, on the show. This is kind of like the Alsace-Lorraine issue that Germany and French had and the French had. And they, I mean, Devin, they killed each other for years over it. You know, one great power war after another, a slice of territory that really wasn't much, but both sides looked at it as a security buffer. They needed it uh, to protect themselves from the other. But the difference was the Germans and the French never argued that each of, you know, the other side had a right to exist. And they never argued that maybe one day we won't have separate states and it'll be one state. Uh, once they came to that agreement and the Second Great War was over, it wasn't a problem for them anymore because of that. Same issue over a small little piece of otherwise useless territory. Right. Well, and you, you, you have know, a different you have a I have a different definition for the CNN strategy. I think it I think you're right. There is a CNN strategy, but I think it's more like tell fake news long enough until you completely destroy all your credibility and your network. So I think it's the same thing. Yeah. Tell lies long enough like Hamas has done and then do something so crazy that eventually now you're going to be at, at, at war. Anyway, yeah. just my little punch at fake news CNN um, who are, you know, have done, you know, serious damage to the series most, as most people know. So we're talking to Rich Barris. Uh, for those of you listening later in the podcast, Rich is a people's pundit on true social. Um, he is a pollster. And normally I do this at the beginning of the show, Rich, but um, how did you get into polling? I mean, it's just kind of a, you know, not very many pollsters in the, on the planet and uh, you got yeah. into polling when and how and, 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 and who do you work with now? Yeah. I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't want to turn the episode into like an old rerun of Barbara Walters, but I think it, it needs, <laughs> it needs some of that to understand. Uh, I, I did not ever intend to become a pollster. Uh, and for years, I alluded before, you know, I was in the army after 9-11 um, when I got out, which was relatively quick. Um, you know, I had spent time in the financial sector. That's what I started uh, my ac academic. I don't want to call it an academic career, but I've been back so much. I, that's what I started academia in. Uh, and but I always did love politics. And eventually, you know, I, after the financial crisis, I really just didn't, I didn't like the line of work and I, I, I always was involved with politics in some way, shape or form. I remember Rudy Giuliani's campaign for mayor for crying out loud. Um, but anyway, uh, I went to the, I'm a Gator. I went to the university of Florida. A lot of people know they have McDonald and the, uh, election project there. Um, so a lot of people do this as I, you know, rather for lack of a better word, you know, they're data nerds and, uh, they, they love this stuff. And eventually I was studying and I did study international relations, but I was for a while, a professional student, just taking a break from life. I don't know what else to call it. I mean, Wait, after I, I needed, and you time. didn't come out of Marxist. That's a, that's a, I, and I didn't No, And oh. I didn't, which is, you know, I had a foundation though. When I went back, I was a little bit older. I was still, uh, you know, my young twenties, but I was a little bit older. And so I had my own beliefs and, you know, but I guess it all really went that way. I had a professor who knew I was not going to try to go work for the state department or something. That's just not what I wanted to do. And I wasn't sure I ever really wanted to go back into something that was so data heavy. And he told me, take this one class and it was math for the liberal arts. And, <laughs> and I'm already one of these guys who takes 18 credits a semester. I'm just, just floating around, but that's what did it. Because in that, or it used to be, I don't know how it is now over at the University of Florida, but a lot, there was a culture of that there. It was actually really cool. You, if you were studying international relations, you could get a talk from John Mearsheimer. Um, if you were studying uh, politics for, if you were going the way of a legislative assistant or something, there was something for you there. 
but this was different because I always had uh, a math brain. That's the way I work. So I think he kind of saw that and he was a pollster himself. I will say if you ask any pollster how they got into it, you're going to find out that somebody probably taught them. All right. So, so uh, along the way, no, there's, there's no class you're going to go uh, learn in. I mean, you could always learn uh, statistics, of course, but that's just not how polling works. It is a part art, part science kind of thing. So almost everyone, and I asked Robert Cahaley the same thing from Trafalgar, and he's like, nah, I came up with someone. You know, someone will eventually grab you, kind of pluck you out and, and teach you the trade. You know, so, so, that, so where did you, so who did you, when did you start? Um, yeah. You know, did you start at a different firm? Did you create and then move on? And did, were you partnered with other people? Yeah. I did, uh, you know, when years back, when I started that, we did partner together. We we had, and this is going back to UF. We designed like McDonald had his election project. We were we started designing models to predict the outcome of elections that would rival Larry Sabato's crystal ball at the center for Jim. Back then, Nate Silver wasn't really a thing. Uh, he came a little bit later. Uh, so we 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 did. Uh, I I did have partners back then, but honestly, and I'm trying to pat myself on the back here. I'm. Uh, largely uh, that came uh, from me and eventually I set off on my own and I, again, I never wanted to be a pollster, but I wanted to help the industry because I did fall into George Gallup's philosophy, which is that self-governing societies have got to know how their, you know, their constituencies feel about issues and that anyone who goes out to try to gauge that has got to be accurate and do a good job. So I didn't start as a pollster. I started as a critic, really, looking for uh, looking for flaws. So one of the things we did right away when this was me alone was try to um, basically prove large swings in the electorate aren't real over short periods of time. They're response biases. And this is an artifact of modern polling. This is not something that's uh, real. So month to month, you're not going to call and get you know, a Trump plus 10 and the next month uh, call those same people and get a Biden plus four. You're just reaching different people and there are issues with the polling industry. Um, and then, you know, from there, I did get hired by some people to do work and it kind of evolved like that. But um, yeah, I, again, I, I never really said, I think I want to be a pollster. And then I ended up at um, People's Pundit Daily, PPD, doing the election projection model online. And in 2014, we started to show people the panels that we use to predict vote preference with persuadable voters. And then we, we, we showed them that that is what we do in, you know, in comparison to what the news networks are doing, uh, which by the way, we got from Barack Obama's people. Uh, David, David Pluff uh, was pretty, um, I don't want to call him, you know, I don't want to call him a genius or anything, but he started a lot of that, that in 2012, they made the argument too, that Mitt Romney's pollster is making the same series of polling mistakes others are making. We're focusing on people that we know are persuadable. And, you know, with that, that's what they were doing. Um, we're saving money and we're looking at people that we know we need to look at and motivate and get out. And so Obama outperformed polls because he did that. Uh, but yeah, so we started in the election model in 2014. In 16, I decided I'm going to release the polling that we're doing. Um, and you know, if it if it works, great. If not, it doesn't. And because it was successful, because we were more accurate, it just blew up. I couldn't have stopped it from there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, you know, but again, it's like I I came into this just on accident. Really, well, you mentioned the name. Uh, Larry Sabato, I think he's uh, University of Virginia or something. I think he's now retired or something, but yeah, back um, then he was the man. With yeah. Him. And it's, yeah. it's, it's funny you say that, but he was a man of the left and, yes. but he was always put up as this independent pollster university Not of Virginia, all. blah, yes. blah, blah. And then every time one of the left-wing rags, they would call up Sabato and say, isn't it true that Republican Devin Nunes, he sucks, doesn't he? Oh yes, indeed. He really does. It's, uh, you know, I mean, it was, he was always great for the independent that the left uh, would call to give them a left-wing view, but, but basically posed as an independent. Yeah. And that was another part of, I guess, why I did this in 2014. And I said, you know what, we're going to do this publicly and see if we can find a place to park the model uh, because modeling was a thing, you know, became a thing back then. I think I did because in academia, even McDonald's, the same thing. 
Devin, they portray him in the media all the time as some independent guy who's just out there trying to objectively um, analyze the impact of early vote. Every, and this is Florida, mind you, which used to be razor close, always a battleground. Every single cycle, somehow the it didn't matter if the data was completely different. Every single cycle, he somehow interpreted the early vote returns to be good for Democrats. And, and it always forecasted that Democrats would win that election. And after a while, it just drove me nuts. And there wasn't any, and there were no right-wing people doing what I, what I do. There were none of them back then. People have to understand this. I'm, there were none of them at all. And there still really aren't. I mean, there's very few. I'm one of them and that's it. I remember the, and I'm going to get into some of the current polling here real quick, but uh, back in 2016, talking about how it's a little bit of an art and, and, yep. and, some, and a mix of science uh, is, I remember uh, right before uh, the 16 election. I, I, it was probably in the previous, maybe two weeks out. And there were story after story by all of the usual suspects, all the fake news suspects that said, Donald Trump getting destroyed in Florida because he wants to build a wall in Mexico. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I had you know, been to Florida a few times and I had, you know, worked a lot with the Cuban uh, re Republicans and the, you know, their, you know, free Cuba movement, um, you know, I was obviously anti-communist and anti-Castro regime. So I started checking in with a few of my folks that I'd, I'd visit. I'd been to their districts before. And, you know, I, I have to tell you, I, I you know, because I'm from California. So I, you know, a lot of a lot of people from Mexico that originate from Mexico here. But when I was in Florida, you know, I didn't see too many people from Mexico. Saw a lot of people from right. Cuba. A lot of people from Puerto Rico, a lot of people from right. uh, Venezuela, you know, all, yep. you know, all, all over the Caribbean. And so I called him and I said, hey, what do the Hispanics in Florida, why do they care so much about a wall with Mexico? And I'll never forget Mario Diaz-Balart says, I never heard that. They, they don't, any, nobody talks about a wall with Mexico here. And I said, holy crap. I said, Donald Trump is going to win Florida. Yeah. And, and Mario was like, what? What are you talking about? I said, yeah. I said, all the fake news is is they're putting out the story. Trump in trouble. Mexicans, yeah. they all hate Trump. Well, what the hell does that have to do with Florida? He's he's won Florida. <laughs> and I told my team, I told everybody, listen, I said, yeah, he's going to run away with Florida. And sure enough, I can't. You probably know the, the number, but I think he won by, I don't know, three or four points. In 2020, he won by over three. But even in 2016, it was uh, 1.4 um, but again, Florida, that's a lot. That's 145,000 votes almost, yeah. uh, that, that back then did not happen. I remember you know, if all the way back to 2016, um, you know, we got a lot of criticism because the, the way we did polling, it was different. And that was the point. Uh, and we were polling, especially Cubans, South, South Florida, Hispanics, and for, remember in 2012, Mitt Romney split Cubans with Barack Obama, which was yep. a disaster. For Republicans, yep. you you have got to carry the Cuban vote if you're going to win Florida. And with Trump, we could see it immediately. And I remember this local CBS News affiliate. Uh, she called me. And she must. She got the poll release. Um, and I think at that period, we showed Trump maybe up by like ten with Cuban Hispanics. And she called me, and she she just wanted me to hear what was going on in the background. She's like, I, I think you need to poll again <laughs> because it was just constant screaming for this man. It was a, an excitement that you just wouldn't, we didn't hear from Mitt Romney. And, you know, she thought 10 points was, was being too modest. And in the end we did go back and poll again and it was a little bit too, too, too modest. Um, but uh, yeah, he won it because he won the, the working class that were coming from the Northeast and settling in the, in the Gulf area, Pinellas County, the media, the fake news is always two, four years behind when it comes to tracking the trends in Florida. And for years they would think Hillsborough was the bellwether County. I mean, it was when George Bush was president. It's not when Donald Trump was president or about to win the presidency. It was Pinellas. And uh, they, I mean, within a half an hour, after the polls closing, before they closed in the panhandle, there were people reporting, including Larry Sabato, that Hillary Clinton was going to carry Florida. And, you know, for those of us who, who you know, were on the other side, we had a much smaller voice, you know, looking at Pinellas County all day long. I mean, we could see the numbers, Devin. We could see uh, by registration how people were voting and where they were voting. 
there was just no way he was going to lose that state. And yet you had, uh, you know, there are a lot of guys who say they're on the right. They're really not, um, you know, out there that night saying, and, you know, things like, in, in case I wasn't clear enough, Hillary Clinton is going to be president. And that's like, you're killing us, guys. You're killing us. Just, well, I'll tell you this. Stop. My time in True Social headquarters is in Sarasota. And I will tell you, Beautiful. There, is, there is no turning back now. Florida is that's going right. to be dark, deep red. Yeah. And I think actually getting redder um, because you see so. now yeah. there's stories that are popping up all over Florida, especially in that Sarasota area. Like if you're if you're a left and you're liberal and you believe in all this, stay out of Sarasota, stay out of Florida. And we're like, yep, exactly. Stay out. Yep. Go to go to California. You can live in Pelosi's district. So, look, you've done some, I think, groundbreaking uh, polling. And uh, because there is an assumption um, we, you know, we, we, on the right, we hope that it's a correct, uh, assumption, but RFK, um, now running as an independent, because of course the Democrats have basically just dismissed like the oldest kind of political family, uh, the Kennedy family, and won't even let him compete to win the Democratic nomination. So he's running as an independent. I can tell you that my gut instinct is that it's going to help, um, it's going to help Trump, uh, but you were quick to point out, hold on there. It depends. It depends. It, depends. it may not, yep. it may not help Trump. So talk to us about uh, the recent polling you did on, on the RFK factor. Yeah. And, and remember there's a number of things that can impact that is West also going to be on the ballot, uh, which I think Devin, we're going to find out that Democrats bought uh Cornell West a vacation home somewhere. And that's why he, he bailed on the idea of running as a green and wants to run as an independent. Now it's very difficult to get on the ballot. I'm not sure RFK can get on the ballot. Um, and over time, and yeah, I'll just get into some of the demographics so it makes sense to people. But as of right now, why it is hairy for, for President Trump when RFK is on the ballot is because he doesn't take any vote really from demographics that are more friendly to Biden. Like, for instance, um, and, and they're whiter, by the way, than less non-white. But if you just look by region, he's a Kennedy. And you think because he's a candidate, he's from the Northeast, he would pull votes from the Northeast. It's the smallest vote share across the country, uh, about 18% of the vote, maybe 20 on a good election for them. But it's declining in population because people are fleeing the Northeast. Uh, and it's also the most liberal and where Republicans struggle, even at the presidential level, they, they struggle the most. And RFK's vote from the, from the Northeast is the smallest vote share he's getting from all of the regions. Number one's actually the South. Number two is the Midwest, followed closely by the West. And uh, then it's the Northeast. And that's because his vote is high school, um, you know, high school diploma, GED or less. He does get some two-year degrees, um, some four years, but not a lot. He gets no support among advanced voters. And when you ask people by ideology, this is one that really just jumps right out at me. The percentage of people who self-identify as conservative and percentage of that self-identify as liberal who are voting for RFK are about equal. It's a little bit more for conservative than liberal, but there are more conservatives in the country than there are liberals. So if you take 10% from a 40% vote block, which is conservatives, or and you take 10% from a 20% vote block, which is liberals, you're still taking twice as many from the larger vote block, even if they're the same percentage. And that's what's going on with RFK ideologically. Now, that's actually a bright spot for, for uh, President Trump because I think that's going to winnow away as time goes on. I do. And I think it's going to leave him with the moderate and liberal voters um, that he may pull away from Biden anyway. But here's the kicker. There's a group, and I don't mean to just run away with the platform here, Devin, but no, no, there's, it's usually I usually I don't talk as that much. Cool? I, yeah. yeah, there's a group that they or maybe I do. I don't know. Maybe people listen to are going to say, you know, they <laughs> talk too much. Let Rich talk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if they tell me to shut up, let me know. There's a there's a group that is they say they're independent. But as with most people, independents are full of it. They truly do. Most of them lean to the right or the left. So we'll always ask people, you say you're an independent. That's fine. We, we accept that. Um, but if you know, do your views lean more towards or do they more closely align with the Republican Party, the Democratic Party? Are you equally aligned with both, perhaps? Or is it that you just share little in common with either? 
And that last group, I share little in common with either. That's a big chunk of independence. And it's the it's the truly persuadable lane among independents. And I, I, I would look back to like Michigan in 2016. The, the, a lot of them voted for Bernie and supported Bernie for the Democratic nomination. But when he didn't get it, they voted for President Trump. And that helped deliver a state like Michigan to him. This group goes without RFK on the ballot. This group goes for President Trump by 20 points. When RFK is on the ballot, it's three. That's it. With West, though, if West does get on the ballot, everything I'm saying goes out the window because the more candidates on a ballot, the more it favors President Trump. And here's the reason. There comes a point where his vote share just refuses to drop. Yeah. The man has now, strong loyalty. And and now yeah. I noticed though that you're talking about a general election matchup. Yes, yes. yes. Um, because you know, I, I when I watch a lot of the news outlets, I <laughs> I hear this candidate, that candidate, you know, you know, depends on who the Republican nominee uh is. Um yeah. So rich, I mean, it's I mean, it's really getting pathetic. Like, I mean, you can almost hear the deject, the deject. They're just like dejected and solemn. Well, it 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 could be Nikki Haley. I mean, that's like you know, Nikki Haley is now okay. rising in the in, in the polls. Um, so you know, all we heard for you know a year was DeSantis, okay, and then now all of a sudden, like the new fad of the Trump derangement syndrome group and the Never Trump is now they're on to Nikki Haley. Um, I don't know. I mean, they've really been pushing. You, you hear starts and stops of pushing of the Virginia governor. I can't think of his name right now. Yeah, Glenn Youngkin. Um, yeah. Youngkin. So, Rich, you're the pollster. Who's like, is Trump like on it? I mean, he he's barely winning, right? I mean, it's <laughs> barely going to make it through, I'm guessing. Ladies and gentlemen, this primary is over. I don't know. I don't know how much more forceful I could be about this. They spent $100 million in the first quarter alone, Devin, to try to throw. And by the way, most of that was thrown at Iowa because DeSantis had an Iowa or bus strategy, despite what they are saying now that they, he could deal with second or third place. There is no lane opening up for anybody. In fact, Donald Trump has basically closed all of those lanes. And $100 million later, his national lead is bigger. His early state lead is bigger. And in the press release, we put out this list of demographic categories and their key demographics that you need to win a Republican nomination. Even three, four, five, six months ago, when it looked like the race was a little bit tighter and DeSantis was in second place, the truth is it never was going to happen because you could not win educated Republican voters by as large of a margin that you need to. And a lot of people call it the wine track, right? You could not do that, win, win them by enough to offset how Donald Trump was, how large of a margin Donald Trump has with the beer track, right? The high, the high school, the, the, the associate's degree voter. It's not, there's, it's, it's basic arithmetic. There is no more math here that makes sense for anybody to continue this uh, this futile process. I'm sorry, Devin, they're wasting money that could be used to the general election. The voters, mm -hmm. th this is the major difference in this cycle that I have never seen or even studied uh, in other cycles before I, you know, I was too young. My very first one was Bush and McCain, and that turned into a slog in 99 and 2000. Bush had what looks like a somewhat similar lead at one point, but it evaporated and it evaporated because when pollsters asked, are you persuadable? Can you change your mind? Only 20% of Bush's vote was solid. We are looking at 80, 85% of Trump's vote saying I'm budged. I'm not going anywhere. My heels are dug in. I am not changing my mind. That number has not declined as his overall lead has increased. That number has also increased. So you know, three months ago when we pulled, it's almost two, I guess now, last uh, we pulled Iowa to show people how his vote wasn't persuadable. It was like 70%, Devin. I'm not moving. And it has. Well, I, I had my own, my own very sophisticated polling that I would do. <laughs> I'm going to give you, I'm right. going to give you my <laughs> method. Okay. Right. So it's, it's when you're driving a car and it doesn't matter what type of car. Um, and you're driving, let's just say mm -hmm. the 2022 election year, 
and you're driving across Florida from Sarasota to yeah. uh, Palm Beach, which I did oftentimes from True Social headquarters over to Mar-a-Lago. And I would see house after house, Rich. Yeah. With now, remember, DeSantis is on the ballot. Governor. He barely won the you know four years before. He's running for governor. Trump is not on the ballot. But I would see exactly zero DeSantis signs and flags. And I would see, I mean, depending on which way I went, Rich, I'd see dozens and dozens and dozens of Trump 2024 flags from Sarasota all the way to Palm Beach. They, they, with they no, really, with no DeSantis. I'm, I'm not talking about one DeSantis or two or zero. Yeah. yeah. They really allowed his, you know, after the midterms and Republicans obviously had hoped they would have done better. And it was just so easy to blame President Trump, even though it was not, it was total nonsense. The DeSantis crowd really let this go to their head that they had won that election like that. Look, I remember I was there. Uh, DeSantis had no prayer in 18 to win that election. It was only, I, I remember everybody who's, who lived in Florida for a while knows Adam Putnam. He was a very well-liked guy. Yep, yep, um, and and yep. he was running away with it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He was running away with it, Devin. And it wasn't until the president endorsed uh, DeSantis did he you know, even take the lead and then inevitably went on. Then not a week after he secures the nomination, he goes on Neil Cavuto. You know, and he and he makes this comment and, you know, you and I know it's unfair, but it doesn't matter. You have to be careful when you're a Republican. He goes on. You can tell he's nervous and he makes this comment. We can't elect Andrew Gillum because we can't have a monkeying up what we've done here. And of course, you and I know he doesn't mean anything by it, but it was a major blunder that you just can't do. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't for Donald Trump coming back to the state three times in like nine or 10 days, he would have lost the governor's race. So he won because of things that had already been happening in Florida long before he ever got there. And him and his team took his reelection as an affirmation of him. And they made a very dire mistake. Right now, we just, um, uh, we're going to have it out uh, pretty soon. It's so, not even close in his own state, Devin. President oh, Trump no, no, beating no, the no, governor I mean, by 40 No, points. no, it's impossible. I mean, I'm it's there over. all the time. It's impossible. It's over. Rich, yeah. we're having a lot of fun here. And I'm sorry we had to, you know, but we had to take up all this time on Israel. But I want to quick, get quick because um, before we before we let you go, um, I, I I boil this down to ultimately Georgia, Arizona, yes. Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, maybe Michigan, New Hampshire, Nevada. Those are my seven. What, what am I missing? Yeah. Um, should I add more? Should I add less? What should our audience be watching because that's at the end of the day, that's what this race is going to come down to in my opinion, but you're the pollster. Tell, tell us. No, I think you're, I think you're right. You're looking at Arizona. You're looking at Georgia. I do think North Carolina is out of reach against president Trump for yeah. Biden. Now I, I, I mean, I polled it in every cycle since 2014 and I've never seen a lead this big. Doesn't mean he should ignore it. I'm just saying that I don't really think that's the media always makes it one of them. Devin, I just, I don't see it. He He's stronger here today than he was against Hillary Clinton. That, that's saying something. Uh, mm -hmm. I would watch Minnesota. We're going to do the Rust Belt poll soon. I know that it was close in 16. It was on 10 points in 2020. But especially with third-party candidates on the ballot, there is, uh, again, that rock-solid floor for President Trump that Biden could just fall right through you know if the young people of ramses and other parts of the twin city areas don't come out it could be a surprisingly close election but other than that i really think that you did nail it it's going to be um the states we mentioned plus the rust belt you know so pennsylvania michigan and wisconsin i would just caution people this wisconsin always polls a little little difficult for republicans and pennsylvania looks more Republican or more Trumpy uh, than the other states. And Wisconsin is a lot more rural. So it's difficult for pollsters to get a more accurate take. So if you see Pennsylvania going, likely Wisconsin's going to go too. Um, Iowa and Ohio, if the nominee is Donald Trump, which it is 99.999999% likely to be, then those states are not competitive and they are off the table. He is just too strong in them. And by the way, I have to say that does not go for other Republicans. It doesn't. 
We've polled them all, and Iowa got real close again without Donald Trump. Ohio got real close, too close for comfort. So I think that then they they, well, they need to learn their lessons here. And that's the, what and I that's I had this conversation with so many of my never Trump friends or Trump doubters, and and I would always get the question, well what's Trump's plan to win? And I would say, what's your guys can't plan to your win? <laughs> I mean, tell, show that's me a Republican crazy, that's won anywhere in the Midwest in the last, in the last 25 years, other than Donald Trump. I, I, I sat and listened to one of these town hall guys who is all in for DeSantis. I, I, cause I had said, which Rust Belt state is he or Nikki Haley going to win? Please enlighten me. Their go-to is Wisconsin. And it's based on a, a just one regurgitating, illogical argument after another. They just regurgitate everything they hear from each other that isn't really true. And then you get the maps out and you show them that I could take Donald Trump's map in Wisconsin and overlay it with Ronald Reagan in 1984, and it's almost identical. I could take the map from 1992 or 88, for that matter, when Bush lost it to Dukakis. And I can overlay it with Mitt Romney's map. And each county, Devin, is almost identical. It's amazing. And there's a reason for that. And if they think, you know, that Nikki Haley is going to ride in and carry the state of Wisconsin, she's going to get creamed. And what we call lumberjack country, Ashfield Bay up in the Northwest, she'll get creamed. Yeah, so with Ron DeSantis, they have no chance. Well, so, so Rich, I just want to, we've been, you've been very gracious with your time, um, but I want to thank you for coming on today. And I hope that uh, maybe in a few months when you have some new polling out, uh, for, well, Absolutely. I guess we'll be right in the, the heat of the, uh, the, the primaries. So, it, but the fun time, the, the silly season. Time. Yep. So Absolutely. anyway, you can follow uh, rich Barrett on true social at people's pundit. He posts all of his podcasts there. You can watch them also on rumble, but rich, thanks again. All the best, Devin. Thanks for having me. All right. This is Devin Nunes. We will catch you next week. And I think next week we're going to have on John Ratcliffe, my former colleague on the house intelligence committee and former director of national intelligence. And our prayers are with the people of Israel. And as uh, this will be a very trying week, I am sure for them. It's Devin Innes. We'll catch you next week.